Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, January 10th, 2022. On the show today, news, listener questions, and in our main segment, data storyteller Becky Gandalon tells us which Genie Plus reservations save the most time in line at all four Walt Disney World theme parks. Let's get started by bringing in the man who wants to know who called them curly fries instead of the much better sounding rotatoes. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? Rotatoes? Oh, okay. Sounds like a lovely side dish for the rotisserie chicken I was planning on making to make this lunch. So. It's all spiral cut everything all the time, Jim. There we go. As soon as I finish that call to the Rotary Club, which I'm doing on my Rotary phone, <laughs> I'm going to bust out my Vegematic and get some rotatoes in the works. All right, Jim, and we have a special guest on the show today. Becky Gandalon is a Diddy storyteller from St. Louis, Missouri. She's got a master's degree in biomedical engineering. See, Jim, we can appeal to people from the wet sciences. Becky's Disney-related work includes the above-average, below-average contact analysis for the unofficial guides, restaurant, and attraction ratings, as well as data science for touringplans.com. Welcome to the show, Becky. Thanks for having me. Excited to chat today. I am super excited to have you on the show as well. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Before we get started, let's do a quick shout-out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers Slide Operator Nick, Amy McHodges, and CMMC. And longtime subscribers, Greg Berg, Matt Herndon, and Kelly Reese. Jim, these are the Disney bartenders who accidentally, and I did that in air quotes, handed out passion fruit margaritas instead of Gatorade to runners at yesterday's Walt Disney World Marathon. So if you realized you weren't running as fast as you thought, and you absolutely didn't care one bit, these are the folks to thank. True story. Ooh, this would explain the people with the bibs out on I-4. <laughs> I'm lost. Yes. Do I care? No. There we go. All right, folks, let's do the news. The Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish podcast. For a worry-free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. All right, Jim, Disney announced this week a moderate discount for Walt Disney World hotel rooms. It's first days from March 6th through July 7th, 2022. So that's spring break in the first full month of summer vacation. Discounts look like they're around 15 to 20% off rack rate, so pretty typical. It looks super similar to the offer that annual pass holders and DVC folks got back in November. Jim, what do you what do you make of this? You've been watching pretty much the same thing that's going on in the headlines and that sort of thing. And for example, what is it? The uh, up in Canada, the theater chain laid off five thousand part-time employees temporarily yeah. out of an abundance of caution. What is it? The Grammys just got you know yeah, postponed indefinitely, yeah. Yeah, there's a kind of a deja vu thing going on here. And President Biden just a few days ago was talking about managing rather than containing. Yeah. So I think everybody's just sort of like, okay, it's not going to be the same thing, but you know, if you need a little bit more incentive to convince people to get on a plane to go down to Orlando, right. this is a way to do it. You know, just, just sort of dip the prices a bit and see if that's enough to sort of tip the balance. But I am not happy with a lot of the news today. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, the, the discount is pretty typical uh, for this time of year. I think mm. the thing that uh, so Disney had to put it out because they would they would put it out normally every year. I think the big question I have here is how much inventory applies to the sale, mm -hmm. right? Because if it's like ten rooms at each resort, that really doesn't mean any, anything. But if it's a lot, then yeah. you and I think I think Disney probably went low on this, mm -hmm. just gauging from the conversations I had with travel agents. And the reason for that is um, number one, like you said, nobody knows what's going to happen two months mm -hmm. from now in March. Number two, we don't know anything about staffing levels. Like I've heard some employers 
around the country are down like 20% right now because of um, Omicron. Mm-hmm. And you talk staffing. We're already in a situation where we're at resorts where you can opt out of room maintenance. So they're only coming twice a day to begin with. But twice, twice a week. Twice a week. Yeah. Oh, are you going to then have to shut down food courts? And the ripple effect that has, what is it? The, 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 there are a lot of unknowns and then the, the unknown known. Unknown. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Donald Rumsfeld. There we go. <laughs> it's, it's not a show unless we've, we've referred to a previous secretary of defense at some point, right? There we go. All right. We all have goals, Len. We all have goals. So. Uh, Becky, anything to add on the uh, on the discount? Your your take on it? I, I mean, it's it's not just a question of availability; it's a question of actually being able to book it. I know there were a lot of Space Mountain orbiting going on yesterday and today, so it's interesting to see uh, is there a lot of demand or is it uh, Disney somehow limiting access or having some of their normal IT problems? So yeah, I mean the the uh, the usual disclaimers apply, right? Number of rooms may be limited, certain room discounts aren't available, yada yada. yada. But, Mm-hmm. Yeah, it. Uh, it. I, I noticed yesterday. Speaking of uh, Disney's website, Becky, that they instituted a queue. Yeah. For uh, for this discount too, which is one of the first times that they've used it for hotel reservations, right? Yep. And they, they've used it. They use it on the Galactic Star Cruiser, but this is the first time we've seen it on general hotel rooms. Yeah, and now, yeah, you have a queue. You had a posted wait time, so maybe we'll start doing some analytics on your, <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> on, your on your website wait. That's coming next. <laughs> That's fantastic. All right. That's good. All right. On to listener questions. Here's one from Mitchell who says, Hey, Lynn and Jim, I'm asking this question on behalf of our friends over at podcast, The Ride. They recently had an episode covering the Disney on Ice show called Disneyland Adventure, which also went by the title The Incredibles in a Magic Kingdom Adventure, which ran from August 2005 through August 2011. The show included some Disney reworked covers of some very famous pop songs, such as Cold as Ice by Foreigner. What the good boys found quite perplexing is that included in the show is a Disney cover of a pretty obscure song called You're Too Flexible to Be Human, and the word your is spelled incorrectly, from the 2004 album Laced Me Up by Jay Bigga. Could you guys do some digging and find out if there's any type of story behind how this very obscure song made its way to Disney on Ice? Their best guess was probably Jay Bigga is a relative of some Disney executive. Thanks for all of your hard work. Jim, not only did I manage to track down Mr. Mr. Bigga, who also goes by the name Mr. Gold Bars, but I have his phone number now and I've asked him Mr. Mitchell's question. So we'll see what happens with that. <laughs> but that's not the strange part of the story, right? No, no. I think what's intriguing about uh, the use of the flexible song, You Too Flexible to Be Human. Which, by the way, I listened to when Mitchell sent it in. And? Some, some risque lyrics for a Disney on Ice show is what I'm saying. Typically, a Disney on Ice show is built around a Disney film, a, a Pocahontas, a Beauty and the Beast, and you have a score that you can tap into. You have songs you can actually physically pull out of the movie. Remember, Incredibles had a musical score, but not songs. And so they were really challenged when they brought this thing in to develop it as an ice arena show. And also, I did some digging down into the development of this show. And Jerry Bellick, who was the gentleman at the film, organization who adapts these things for the uh, for arenas got a great quote from him. He said, I saw the movie and I couldn't believe it. That things are blowing up. Buildings are on fire. Explosions. And I had no idea how we were going to do this on ice and still have skaters in the middle of it. it 
And so what they decided to do was, rather than do an adaptation of the Brad Bird film, which came out in theaters in November of 2004, they basically did a sequel. And the idea was that having defeated Syndrome, the Parr family decides, let's go to Disney World. And so I actually pulled the program, sent these images to Len, because it's like, you have moments in the show where the Parr family is on Main Street getting their picture taken with Big and Minnie. Oh, you know, the next thing, they're on the Jungle Cruise, only Bob is suffering basically from post-traumatic stress syndrome. He sees danger everywhere. So when the family's on the Jungle Cruise, he jumps out of the boat and wrestles a mechanical crocodile. And then... Uh, so they, he's, they, like, he's like all of us in that respect, Jim. <laughs> well, there you go. He's on Big Thunder with the family. And again, they replicate Big Thunder. And he sees a prop car or car roll into a scene filled with fake dynamite and he jumps off of the train and throws it off stage and his wife she's the one who performs on stage in the you more flexible than human number uh she finally convinces them you know calm down we're on vacation nothing bad's gonna happen and so they're on pirates of the caribbean and bob is finally relaxed only syndrome the re, uh, well he's dead from the film but it's a perfect robot replica clone of syndrome uh, actually voiced by Jason Lee. He came back to voice the character for their show. He d- has taken control of all of the audio animatronics and pirates, and now the pirates are coming after the Parr family. And I have a, a great quote here from Kenneth Feld, the gentleman in charge of the organization. He, he talks about our talented choreographers made sure the Incredibles powers w- were displayed in their skating. In some scenes, the skating reflects the park attractions, the animatronics that were mimicked with sharp, jerky movements, which, again, I think the Imagineers would love. You know, <laughs> that that critique of their uh, their skill? Yeah, okay. And, and it's also worth it for the scene in the second act where Jack-Jack gets out of the boat on Small World and climbs up into the scenery, and Bob actually has to get out of the boat and destroy scenery on Small World to rescue his son. See, and Jim, I think th- you know, this is this is my question, right? Yes. When 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 Bob does it, he's rescuing his child. It's entertainment. Yep. When I do it, it's trespassing. You need to get a small child with a cute blonde spike of hair. I'm just saying. I'll you know, see what I can do. There we go. All right, Jim. Next question from our friend Jeff. With all of the news coming out about large amounts of cancellations for Galactic Star Cruiser, I'm wondering if you've heard anything about a Plan B for this hotel, or did you just assume it was going to be a smash hit? Jim, is anyone talking about a plan B at this point? First of all, it's got to open. Let's have a plan A. (laughs) People seem so eager for this to fail. They can't wait for it to open. Peter Serretta of Slash Film tweeted out earlier this week something that I think everyone needs to take into consideration is like, this isn't a traditional hotel. You got to think of it in a cruise ship mentality. And people book cruises and then cancel them all the time. So the fact that, oh, look at all these cancellations, look at how light they are on rooms, that sort of thing. It's like, you know, yeah, if it, if it's a hotel, it's concerning. But if it's a hotel that really is working on a cruise ship mentality, the fact that people are canceling early to get 50% of the deposit back or that sort of thing, it's not all that different. Right. You know, it's, so it's like we need to sort of manage our expectations here. I mean, I, and, in fact, that's the other thing. I just there's something about the Disney fan community that, that when they predict it's going to fail, it's going to fail, it's going to fail. And then when it doesn't fail, they get very disappointed. Yeah. You know, I, I was planning all this doom and gloom and I had my party hats to celebrate that they crashed and burned and it didn't. Damn it. So also the other thing. Remember, we are just 
a week in at this point to Bob Chapek being the head of the Walt Disney Company. And Bob's long-term plan for the Galactic Star Cruiser is this is the next big franchise for the company. I mean, you know, remember, we're we're getting a Galaxy's Edge built in France. In France, yeah. And supposedly there there will be a Galactic Star Cruiser eventually built in close proximity to that. There are supposedly ongoing conversations with the folks at Oriental Land about a third park being built there to go with Disney Seas, Disney Air, and, you know, that would finally bring Pandora and Galaxy's Edge. And what a surprise, a hotel will be part of that as well. Oh, there you go. If this works, this is something that Chapek wants to walk around the world. So it's not a question of, you know, this thing's going to be open for six weeks and like, oof, that didn't work. You know, let's yeah. pretend that didn't happen. They're going to throw a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of effort into making this thing a success. So Yeah, and we should see the first uh, test cruises go out, I think, within the next three or four weeks, right? There we go. So I guess if you're determined to point and ah, look, it was a failure, might want to pull in your expectations a bit. Yeah, let's wait and see what, uh, what it is. I mean, we'll, I'll be there opening night, so we'll see. Okay. Okay. Can't wait to hear your your impressions. So, all right. Uh, from Mike, he says from the comfortable semi wraparound air conditioned theater to the incredible visuals to the sublime musical score, I can't get enough of impressions to France. I honestly think it's a better experience than Soren, and it's definitely my top five Disney attractions in the world. Though I haven't been to the Asian parks yet. That said, I'm terrified that this movie will unceremoniously leave us. In the near future, I've heard nothing but bad things about the Beauty and the Beast film, but that doesn't make me feel any better about the fate of IDF. Do you have any inside scoop on the longevity of Impressions de France? Are its few nightly shows here to stay, or do I need to make an emergency trip to Epcot this year? I'd also love to hear a Jim Hill tale about the history of Impressions de France, if you ever get a chance on the show. So Jim, anything? What I have heard is since Beauty and the Beast sing-along debuted back in January, in fact, we're just a a week or so out from the second anniversary of the opening of this thing, Mm -hmm. this is the modern-day Disney company, and and, and it's all about IP. That said, the company recognizes what an amazing piece of filmmaking Impressions of France is. And so that's why, is it just an hour or two hours prior to close I think, I think it starts at 7, 6.30 or 7. Okay. Yeah. So, they, you know, later in the evening, there are at least two hours where they're typically presenting Impressions de France. And a lot of that is because, you know, everybody recognizes that there's so much history involved here, Len. It's, it's the very first film that you know, the music was re- for a theme park where the music was recorded digitally and presented digitally. That's really the big story in regard to Impressions de France is that Rick Harper, the guy who directed the thing, he was a classic music buff. From, again, from, from the age of six, he, put, he was building a classical music collection. So when this opportunity came his way, mm-hmm. you know, and literally they're going to Disney's board of directors looking for money for the thing. And the board is like, are people even going to know what they're looking at here? <laughs> it's, it's, it's obscure parts of French with, uh, with uh, music that no one listens to. Yeah, I see the appeal. Yeah, they went in initially with a list of 140 places they wanted to shoot, and they to get the board on board, they cut it back to 46 locations. They also sold them on the idea that what's going to be different about this movie is, A, 
you know, we're not going to do a circle vision 360. We're only going to do 270 degrees. So four magazines worth of film gone. All right. It's already cheaper than what we're doing over in China. <laughs> Mind you, the camera still weighs 500 pounds. But again, it's going to be cheaper to shoot. And the kicker is that he and Buddy Baker had sat down with his classical music collection and had built this soundtrack in advance for the attraction. Ooh. And it's like, look, we're going to shoot to the music, not the other way around. When Bob Rogers and Rick Harper would go to the field and they'd be shooting each of these 46 different scenes, they actually had a stopwatch with them because, okay, this is the part yep. in the soundtrack. Yeah. This is how long the shot should be. And they'd, they'd plan it out. Down to the second. So I've actually I've actually seen this on the, um, the handwritten timing on the score of the Impressions de France film from the Buddy Baker archives. Yeah. There you go. But at the same time, because you have to, it's a 270 degree image, you know, just setting up the shots took yeah. days. I mean, for example, that wedding in Brittany scene, you know, in the, the, the churchyard. <laughs> Those kids are senior citizens now. But three days to light and set that up so you couldn't see the camera. Everybody recognizes that it's an amazing piece of film and it, it deserves to be seen. The downside, Len, mm -hmm. is it's 18 minutes long. That's the other thing that's really kind of sad. Comment on who goes to see this thing. It's mostly older people. Senior citizens do give it the highest rating of any uh, any age group that we check. And those folks tend to take a little longer to get up out of their seat and leave the theater. And they also take longer to shuffle in from the lobby and find a seat. So an 18-minute show, you can only do two shows an hour where... With Beauty and the Beast, they are doing three shows an hour yeah. because it's largely a kid audience and they run into the theater and sit down and then they rush out again. So from an ops point of view, it's hard to argue in the nine hours a day that it's a Beauty and the Beast show, we can get 27 shows in. Sure. On the other hand, the two hours it's run at night, we can get four impressions to France in. And it's, that's, that's not good from an ops point of view. That makes it really easy to spike and right. wasn't it just this week they were talking about how we lost an original soundtrack for future world oh yeah the uh the uh classic epcot future world soundtrack which i think was in place since 2005 has been replaced now but like i said i, I don't mind the new one i think it's mm -hmm. i'm definitely going to give it a shot walt himself said this place is in a museum you know it's 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 going to change it's going to grow but it's just something like that where it's like there were things in Impressions of France, the Cathedral of Notre Dame. Yeah. Yeah. No longer there. Yeah. No longer there. I'm hoping myself that this gets a reprieve, but this is the new Epcot. And, right. you know, a show that's only shown starting at, at six or seven o'clock at night. That's that's not a good sign. It'll be interesting to see what the, uh, what the crowds do once Remy switches over to standby. So we're recording this on the 6th. It switches over to standby on the 10th. They get rid of virtual cues then. And it'll be interesting to see what that does to crowds because to your point about film capacity, two shows of Impressions de France versus three for Beauty and the Beast with all mm -hmm. those people who hang around France now waiting to either waiting for their uh, virtual cue or uh, waiting to get in line at, uh, at Remy. That might be uh, something. So a couple of quick things. One, Jim, do you think it would help the senior citizens if Levin's de France started serving a Geritol fizz? <laughs> Look, I, I say this as a 62-year-old, soon to be a 63-year-old. <laughs> it's like, you know, it depends on what the fizz is. Like. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Grey goose. Like, and then um, I actually did some analysis, and Becky, I'd love to, to hear your uh, your thoughts on this. I did an analysis of not only Impressions de France 
versus Beauty and the Beast Sing Along, but also Harmonious versus Epcot Forever versus Illuminations, and then Enchantment versus Happily Ever After versus Wishes. And the thing I was looking for there is like which demographics like which thing. So we mentioned already that Impressions de France was highest rated by seniors. They give it four and a half stars out of five. Young adults in over 30s give it four stars. Teens give it three and a half. And preschool and grade schoolers give it three stars, right? Uh, and that's based off many thousands of surveys. The Beauty and the Beast sing-along does worse with every demographic from teens on up. But for preschoolers and grade schoolers, they give it four stars each instead of three. So, Becky, is this a, a sense of Disney trying to give, throwing something for the kids? As a parent of preschool and grade schoolers, I'm going to go ahead and say yes. Uh, my husband and I would much prefer Impressions to France. I haven't seen the Beauty and the Beast one because we haven't taken the time to do that. And I'm personally not particularly interested. But I can tell you, my girls are around the house listening to the Encanto sand- soundtrack all day. They've got the frozen hmm. sing-along microphone. Like they're all about singing along with those Disney music. So I have a feeling. And in World Showcase, there really isn't a lot to do for those little kids other than Frozen Ever right. After. Unless you can train them up to appreciate the good things in life, which I'm doing my best to do. It, <laughs> it, just, it, it just takes time, right? It's, Constant it's reinforcement. A good, it's a good little people diversion in World Showcase right now. <laughs> All right. And then the uh, the uh, other shows that I was interested in in Epcot were Illuminations ratings versus Epcot Forever versus Harmonia. So let's start with Illuminations. Preschoolers and grade schoolers gave it four stars out of five each. And then every other age group gave it four and a half stars. The next one, the replacement after Illuminations was Epcot Forever. Every age group gave that four stars. So except for preschoolers and grade schoolers, teens, young adults, over 30s and seniors all thought that Epcot Forever was worse than Illuminations. The interesting thing is if you look at Harmonious. So Harmonious also gets four stars from preschoolers. So uh, preschoolers give four stars to every recent (laughs) Epcot fireworks show. I think anything that blows up in the sky, preschoolers, four stars. Great schoolers give Harmonious four and a half stars, which makes it the highest rated Epcot nighttime entertainment for that demographic. Any, any surprises there, Becky? No. I, I mean, it has characters, right? Uh, so yeah. that's fine. Yes, those littles are going to like that more. The two times that I've seen this show, the, the, to watch grade school children react to this show and, and point and call out to, ooh, that's Balan. Ooh, that's Beauty and the Beast. I mean, it, it definitely has dialed in that demographic of course if they're watching between those two shops you know on the future world side i don't know you know people around the other parts of world showcase lagoon how, how their kids are enjoying the eye test so <laughs> i was gonna say maybe the i said it's just better you just have to there talk to them about the engineering marvel that are the water moving again that's what that's what kids want yes engineering yeah, yeah. There we go. Uh, teens also give Harmonious four and a half stars. And I think that's not a surprise because most of the films that are referenced there, uh, those kids would have grown up with. There you go. Right? So four and a half stars. So that ties the uh, teen rating for Illuminations. The interesting thing is that young adults over 30s and seniors all give Harmonious four stars, which make it lower rated than Illuminations. So the only age group in which Harmonious does better than Illuminations is grade schoolers. So Jim, you think this is a, uh, and Becky, I'll start with you actually. Is this a, uh, a specific Disney intent to target 
harmonious to those kids? Is, and is it, is it, is it a, you know, we need something for the grade schoolers and teens, or do you think this is part of Disney's long-term 20 year strategy to say, look, if these kids, uh, you know, grow up and have their own kids 20 years from now, or whatever, <laughs> 25 years from now, they're going to they're gonna want to come back here and, and, and see Nighttime Spectaculars. I, I don't know if it's intent. I don't know that I would go assuming that far. I think it's very apparent that they're trying to introduce more characters, uh, especially into Epcot. And Harmonious is a big part of that. So is Beauty and the Beast Sing Along that we were talking about. And those do. They just automatically appeal to younger kids more than those of us that have been around Epcot forever and appreciate it. Mm pre-characters those that are growing up with characterized epcot are appreciating characterized epcot and so it could just be part of that longer term shift that yes is appealing to those that don't know any better <laughs> <laughs> they're kids what are they doing? right all right and uh and if we look over at the magic kingdom right we have enchantment now which is the current version of the nighttime spectacular uh that replaced happily ever after which ran a relatively short while. And that, of course, replaced the classic Wishes. So let's start with Wishes. Every demographic gave uh, Wishes four and a half or five stars. It remains the highest rated uh, of the Disney nighttime spectaculars. Happily Ever After didn't do that much worse. In fact, it was the exact same ratings for every age group, except for the over 30 segment, who gave it four and a half stars instead of five. So, uh, so Happily Ever After, for, for what it was, was a pretty solid replacement for wishes. And then we come to enchantment. So for enchantment, preschoolers give enchantment four and a half stars, which is the same rating that they gave happily ever after and wishes. Again, I think if you put anything exploding in front of kids, it's at least four stars, right? The interesting thing about enchantment though, is every other age group gives it four stars. And that means it's the lowest rated of the last three Magic Kingdom nighttime spectaculars. So, Becky, have you seen Enchantment? I well, have I seen it? Yes. Have I seen it in person? No. <laughs> Working okay. on right. solving that hopefully pretty soon. But from what I've seen and from what I've heard, and looking at the data, it makes sense to me. This is the probably the least surprising out of sort of these three data comparisons that we've done so far. And I think something that we're seeing reflected and harmonious and an enchantment, like kids are kids. If you get them a good yeah. view and there's characters and there's exploding things, they're going to enjoy it. Adults, maybe even teenagers, understand what it takes to get that good view and that good experience. And so both Harmonious and, in my opinion, Enchantment, from what I've heard, require more uh, positioning, which requires mm -hmm. getting there earlier and saving your spot. And uh, that means not going on as many rides and dealing, right? So Enchantment has a lot of projections, probably I would say more ambitious projections than its predecessors. And in order, so when I've seen it on video, right, I can barely see anything mm -hmm. because projections are going like crazy. So you're it's gonna, a lot. You're going to have to be well positioned and closer in order to see them. That requires more effort. That's probably reflected in the scores from those that understand that effort and not in the kids that are just there and enjoying the experience. <laughs> the preschoolers aren't there fighting off people <laughs> off the sidewalk for, for right. two hours. People are avoiding yeah. them anyway because they don't want the bubble wands in their face or whatever. <laughs> Did you guys just notice yesterday about the news that broke about the augmented virtual reality stuff that Disney just patented? Yes. That you don't have to wear a visor to see this thing? It's almost It's yeah. almost like a hologram, yeah. Yeah. And think about it. One of the main complaints about 
enchantment is that for a large part, you know, you don't know where to look. You're mm. constantly sort of toggling back and forth between the projections on the castle to the fireworks. I mean, it, that's what's kind of weird about this show that I feel like for the first time, really, there's, there's kind of an uncertainty about, you know, what am I supposed to be looking at to have the best show? And a, a lot of that also has to deal with projections that go down Main Street USA. Mm. Yeah, And yeah. long range, the notion that you could be standing on Main Street and look up and suddenly here is a virtual reality sequence happening, you know, directly overhead where, you know, you don't necessarily have to be straining to look over people to see what's being projected in the castle. It's right, uh, you know, right okay. on top of you. I'm going to be intrigued to see three, four, five years down the line when this finally makes its debut into the park and the very thing that Mm-hmm. Uh, was talking about, you know, the notion of you're in the wrong position. You can't see the show, you know, so you give it low marks. If, if the show literally surrounds you and you see this amazing virtual reality thing going on directly overhead, how can you not mark that higher? That's a really good point. My, as a sort of correlation, my kids watched the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade this year, right? Which I always force them to watch because we're going to have family <laughs> traditions, dang it. Uh, mm-hmm. But <laughs> if you watched it on TV this year, there were things like the Millennium Falcon flying through the parade and like all these sort of virtual realities layered on. And those were the things that stood out the most to them and captured the attention. Really? It didn't matter that it wasn't real, like the balloons. A, they're preschoolers. Mm-hmm. They couldn't really tell. But B, like yeah. they were so much cooler and they were things that they latched onto. So yeah, if the AR and the VR become cooler and more interactive than the actual fireworks, that's absolutely what those kids are going to latch onto and enjoy in the future. That's a great point. So we're, we're probably a few years out from seeing that in the, uh, in the actual parks, but you never know. Yep. All right. Uh, two more questions. First one from Anna who says, I love the show and was wondering if you know whether the garden wing rooms of the contemporary are getting the Incredibles makeover that they've had in the tower. We're from the UK and we're booked to stay there in the summer. Um, yes, that's my understanding. And it, you know, it comes down to this uh, stuff we've been talking about lately, supply chain, you know, uh, workers to do the, the change out and whatnot. My understanding was that they would complete the main building refurb. And I don't think that's quite done yet. And then they would move on to the garden wing. So summer-ish is probably the time frame. Whether um, whether that's early summer or late summer, I'm not sure. But uh, I would expect it to be done uh, around the time of your trip. Yeah, so good luck with that. And then last question from Tom. Uh, my family and I are planning a vacation to Alani later this summer. And I was disappointed to learn that Touring Plans doesn't publish an unofficial guide to the Alani Resort. I can only assume this is due to a lack of volunteers if so, please send me off with a Touring Plants credit card, and I'll be happy to go several times for, quote, research. I was going to say, if you're Until looking, then, do you have any? Yeah, for, yeah. I'm, I, I go in front of this guy. No. <laughs> and, and, and I am directly behind her. All right. I, I just. <laughs> Until then, do you We're have any calling dibs. All right. Uh, uh, strange that we don't have any difficulty getting volunteers for this, but when it comes to burning off an eyebrow at a spa, uh, yeah. all of a sudden it's hard to find people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. All right. Uh, so Tom says, until then, do you have any recommendations for Alani planning? Vic, have you been to Alani? No, uh, especially with uh, the little ones. We're not making the trek out to Hawaii yet, but it's on our list. Oh, that's right. Yeah, okay. And Jim, you've not been, right? Nope, nope. Long range, though. Nate's and I were talking about it. It just, I, I think we we want to wait till, you know, it, it, it's... Until you sure you can get into the island? Hours hours. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> you know, more to the point, they won't throw us off the island. So. Yeah, my sense is that there's a uh, Hawaii is made up of a lot of islands with very mm-hmm. long coastlines. You could take a, uh, a an outrigger canoe, and no one would know you actually landed anywhere. Right? You know, <laughs> uh, yeah, I saw this on Hawaii Five O once, I think. Anyway, Tom, my advice: uh, do everything. I think I've said on the show before. Alani is Disney's best resort. Every good thing that they do in any resort uh, found its way. Into Alani, there is stuff for kids, there's stuff for teens, there's stuff for adults. It's all self-contained. I think I, I, I don't know if I said this in the show once uh, or not, but I once went for seven days and left the resort exactly twice. Once to go to Foodland, which is a local grocery store um, near Alani, and it's fabulous because it has a poke bar. And then the other time was to just walk around and uh, see what the, uh, the uh, Four Seasons was like. But I spent a week at Alani, did not leave the property, and had a super fabulous time. I think the food is excellent. The spa is excellent. There's nothing wrong with that resort. Do it all. Um, and that's my advice. Yeah, I would say, especially for those with little kids, we've done uh, Vero Beach DVC. and Oh, it's the one DVC I haven't done. Uh, see, there we go. We've, we're complementary <laughs> to one another. Yeah, uh, but the benefit, like magical things, yes, happen at Disney World when you bring your young kids. When you're bringing young kids to these other off-property DVC resorts, young kids get so much more attention because <laughs> they're less of the population. And right. the, the employees just love showering attention on the little kids. So if you're a DVC member or you rent points and you have young kids, highly recommend trying out some of those other spots. Oh, that's fantastic. By the way, Len, if you are looking for a time to go to Vero, sea turtle nesting season runs from March 1st to October 31st, and they do what they call a sea turtle night walk experience at Vero Beach. Ooh, that sounds great. So, you know, again, if you're going to do it, check that out. So Yeah, I mean, I'm already in Florida, so Vero Beach isn't that far away. There you go. Fabulous. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Becky tells us which Genie Plus reservations save the most time at all four Walt Disney World theme parks. We'll be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Becky, we brought you on the show to give us some advice about which Genie Plus reservations save the most time at Walt Disney World. So the first question uh, I think that people want to know is, why do we want to know this? (laughs) Why wouldn't you want to know this? It's data. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, But Genie is a complicated beast. And I think even back in the era of FastPass and FastPass Plus, people wanted to know what the best use of that was. Genie Plus ups the ante because obviously you're paying for it. So you want to get your money's worth. You don't want to waste your Genie Plus reservations because you can only make them every two hours or 
more quickly if you're picking ones that are available sooner. So you really want to understand where you're going to get your money's worth, where you're going to save the right. most time and not just go into it blindly. Right. There, so there's, there are fewer Genie Plus reservations available, mm, right? Yeah. Well, which ups the stakes, right? Because it's a supply and demand thing. Also true. Fair enough. And what do we mean by, by saving time here? Saving time is compared to what? Saving time. Uh, so saving time compared to standby lines is really how we're calculating it here. So we have your posted and your actual wait times in the standby queue for each of these rides. You compare that. The lightning lane typically isn't instantaneous. So your lightning lane time savings are going to be a function not only of how long the standby queue is, but also how long that you're going to be waiting in the lightning lane. We've seen and heard a few horror stories of I had a Soren Genie reservation. I got in line and it was a 40-minute wait and the standby was only posted at 50. What the heck was it doing? Right. Um, but those are rare. But it does vary from ride to ride how much time you're going to be spending in the lightning lane, especially if the ride goes down and everyone floods it right when it opens back up. So it's really the difference between those two. You want to maximize that difference to make the most of your genie day. Cool. And where'd you get the data from and how much of it is there? We got the data from our lovely Lines users. We have all the posted wait times from Disney and then Lines users can use the app to submit not only their standby wait times, but also their lightning lane waits. So we put all, pulled all of those since we started collecting Lightning Lanes data in the Lines app. Say Lightning and Lane and Lines a few more times. Doing well there, though. Uh, mm -hmm. Haven't messed it up so far. So you can time those. We've collected, uh, before Christmas, we had collected almost 700 Lightning Lane waits. We're doing better. Obviously, there were a ton of people in the parks over the holidays. So we're getting more and more. We're getting closer. This is just a first look at what we've been seeing. Fantastic. All right. So uh, let's let's get to the uh, to the results. What are the 10 attractions at which Genie Plus saves the most time? So I'm going to tweak your question just a little bit because okay. I have to <laughs> do that, right? So top 10, 10 and 11 are a little bit interchangeable and there's a very clean break after 11. So we'll go with top okay. 11 because uh, any of those top 11 are going to save you more than 20 or 25 minutes typically under most conditions. So all these numbers that I'm quoting, this is based on all crowd levels, all times of day. Obviously, when we start making recommendations, we're going to start slicing and dicing that a little bit more. Um, but then sure. anything below that top 11 is saving you less than that 20 minutes. So that's a nice clean break. Those top 11 are Slinky Dog, Peter Pan, Jungle Cruise, your Navi River Journey, Kilimanjaro mm -hmm. Safaris, The Falcon, Rock and Roller Coaster, Toy Story Mania, Tower of Terror, Splash Mountain, and Test Track. All right. And uh, Splash and Test Track are the tie for uh, Yeah, that's 10 the tie for 10 and 11. The Test Track technically comes in at 11, doesn't quite make the top 10, but it's close. And is that the, is that the only Epcot attraction? <laughs> it is. So you notice that. If you listened closely to that big list of attraction names, there are five in the top 10 that are Hollywood Studios. There are none that are Epcot unless you sneak Test Track in there like I did sneakily. Um, two Animal Kingdom, three Magic Kingdom. So very clear trend there. And I don't think this surprises mm -hmm. anyone that there are a lot of high standby wait times at Hollywood Studios anyway. So it makes sense that individually you're going to be able to save quite a lot of time there and not somewhere like Epcot. 
How much time are we talking about saving at Slinky Dog Dash using Genie Slinky Dog Dash, our average is just over 51 minutes. So it's the one, it's the Ooh. only attraction that breaks over that 50 minute mark. So that's pretty huge. Uh, we've talked about way before Genie was even introduced, we hypothesized, right, that if you could save an hour of time, then it might be worth it because we had these calculations about how much you're paying per hour to be in the park anyway. Um, so Slinky is the one that gets sort of closest to saving you that hour just in one fell swoop. Huh. And then what were the next two after that? Peter Pan's Flight and Jungle Cruise. So those are your Magic Kingdom heavy heat hitters. And so Peter Pan's Flight is 50 minutes even, our average right now. And Jungle Cruise comes in at about 48 and a half minutes. So. Okay, so just under 100 minutes in those two rides in the Magic mm-hmm. Kingdom for a 15 or $20 $15 Genie Plus. Assuming you can reserve both of them. Yeah. Assuming you can do both, right. <laughs> so the interesting thing about that is when I was, uh, so I've been testing um, having the Touring Plan Optimizer suggest which Genie Plus reservations to get. And it turns out, I'm sure this is not a coincidence, that the two things it recommends the most, uh, number one, Jungle Cruise, number two, Peter Pan's Flight. Mm-hmm. Yep. Hmm. So yay. Your, your recommendations are yeah, yeah. going well. <laughs> Yay, the, the software is able to find patterns in data. Right? Yay. And I mean, <laughs> sure, Peter Pan right now wins out by overall average. Probably if I ran the confidence intervals, they'd be pretty interchangeable. Be the same. Yeah, Jungle Cruise say, yeah. is a standby line that's much less fun to wait in than even Peter Pan. Uh, so I would personally prioritize Jungle Cruise as well. I think it's amazing, uh, Jim, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. There's nothing in the top 10 that's in Epcot, and there's relatively few rides. You think that they would be concentrated. People would be concentrated on those rides. Yeah, but again, we were just talking about this is a park that's in the middle of being reinvented. Mm. Uh, and the Epcot's future, you know, instead of being the science and discovery park, it's a park for celebrations. And it will be intriguing four and five years from now when in theory the play pavilion is open and the very long long overdue reinvention of imagination is completed i would be fascinated if lightning lane and and genie plus are still around and operating at that point you know with the same rules yeah with the same rules it's funny you mentioned the play pavilion and i think i've said on the last couple of shows that disney's got nothing in the pipeline for 2023 or 24 24 and i always forget about the play pavilion because they could eventually open that up years from now, right? Yeah. yeah. And okay. that one is actually easiest in the bunch because you remember the, the initial setup for the Play Pavilion. It was like five smallish attractions yeah. inside of that space. And each of them sort of tasked to different divisions of the company. Mm-hmm. Television, animation, feature, you know, that sort of thing. So, ESPN, Disney+. Plus. There we go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, turning the key on that would be easier than we'd expect but yeah. you know that's not going to be a priority till on the other side of covid uh, yeah you're having a bunch of yeah. uh, uh moderately vaccinated kids running around <laughs> indoors touching things probably not so uh, you just described uh, school that was great yeah it was funny yeah. hold on i'm gonna choke for a second <laughs> All right, so Becky, the uh, uh, give us the bottom ten, the least useful attractions. <laughs> the least useful. So here, and if you want to say, if you want to say bottom eleven again, uh, let's say yeah, oh, a- we'll find a good uh, breaking point here. There's definitely a clear bottom three, 
And those are Mickey's Philharmagic, which has a whopping average of saving you zero minutes. Uh, (laughs) Mission Space, very close second. I think it's at two minutes. And the Seas with Nemo and Friends. So really, really just no point to use it on any of those three. The next group comes right in about saving you just under 10 minutes to just over. So that's Imagination, the Speedway, Tomorrowland Speedway, Star Tours, Living with the Land, Dumbo, Under the Sea. I'd also throw in Spaceship Earth and Mad Tea Party there. Uh, So lots and lots of Epcot and Magic Kingdom attractions that eat up people anyway so they're not an incredible so how, how many how many Epcot, how many Epcot attractions are there mission space the seas journey to imagination living, living with, with the land uh-huh. spaceship earth spaceship earth five so five yeah. of the top or five five, five of the bottom ten yeah mm, i think it's Epcot. 11 again but yes yes five of oh, them okay are in Epcot. Five, five, 11. totally wow. worthless well and this comes back to all of those genie attractions so grand fiesta tour is also genie eligible it's not here because we didn't have a lot of timed lightning lane waits i would also assume that time savings are pretty negligible there yeah but other than that all of your epcot genie attractions are in future world or whatever the heck they're calling it now and your individual lightning lanes which we might talk about later are in world showcase and those attractions are seeing much higher standby wait times and you're getting much better time savings. Future World's just a mess to navigate. Mm. And yeah, it has a couple. You've got Test Track and Soren that generate pretty heavy weights when there are high crowds. But other than that, using Genie to avoid those weights, you're going to spend more time walking <laughs> in between that's all the construction walls than you are going to save in the standby line. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's the trouble with like with like Test Track, right, which is 11th on the list. I mean, Test Track, if you're, if you're going there from the other side of, I don't want to use Future World anymore, but if you're going from, you're going from World Nature to World Discovery, that's, that could be a 10-minute walk right, right there, easy. And if, you know, God forbid you're coming from Remy, right, which is you're probably <laughs> looking at uh, 10 or 15 minutes there, right? Yep. And then you have to go back to wherever you were going next, right? So... Yeah, it's a, it's a total mess. Like, uh, this is why Epcot would be my park where I would least recommend Genie Plus, and I think everyone else agrees. But we had a perfect example of this, unrelated to Genie, but extended evening hours. Uh, we ran that oh, test right. trying to save time. And we had, a, like, there were barely any waits anywhere. We waited 20 minutes for four attractions. But the four attractions were Remy, Soren, Test Track, and Frozen Ever After. And just to make the walks in between, you've eaten up your two hours once you experience all four. So it's just miserable to try to do things in any optimized way, especially if you're waiting on your genie times to roll around and try to figure out where you can wait without having to walk two miles. All right, so let's do uh, let's do this real quick. Um, give us some good advice to keep in mind for Genie Plus at each park, and then we'll talk real quick about individual lightning lanes. Yeah. So at Magic Kingdom, I would uh, let's see. Genie Plus is going to be the most useful, sort of at those medium crowd levels. At high crowd levels, okay. things start to sell out. We actually saw okay. better availability during the Christmas high crowds than during the Thanksgiving high crowds. So it might not be as much of an issue moving forward. We'll keep an eye on it. Well, don't forget to uh, some some individual lightning lane move to yes, Genie Plus. Exactly. So, we, uh, more supply. so that okay. helps right. alleviate some of that. So definitely you'll want to book Peter Pan's flight and Jungle Cruise. Those are the obvious two. Um, if Space Mountain is a Genie Plus eligible one, like it is during the holiday period, who knows what that'll look like going forward. It also has mm-hmm. pretty good time savings compared to standby. I'd put it sort of in a second tier with 
Big Thunder, Splash Mountain, um, etc. Beyond that, almost everything has pretty comparable time savings. If you throw out things like Mad Tea Party, PhilharMagic, uh, Speedway, uh, Monsters sure. Inc. Laugh Floor, that you just don't need. There are a ton of attractions that have very similar types of time savings. And so then just focus on what's important to you and your party, what you want to do. So that's Magic Kingdom. Hollywood Studios has even more availability issues. So Slinky Dog Dash is booking up for the day within the first few minutes, pretty much every day, no matter what the crowd conditions are. Um, Right. Especially at those like medium crowd level, medium crowd levels, it's booking out before Rise of the Resistance was. So if you're going to Hollywood Studios and both of those are important to you and it's medium crowd level or lower, I actually suggest booking Slinky first and then hopping over and booking your rise uh, if you're wanting to do both. But so Slinky Dog is the obvious winner. It saves so much more time than everything else. After that, you have a second tier, sort of. The Falcon, Rock and Roller Coaster, Mm -hmm. Toy Story Mania, Tower of Terror. That's going to be your next group uh, of things that you should book. If Mickey and Minnie's okay. Runaway Railway is eligible like it is during the holiday season, that falls into that tier as well. But don't waste your time on Muppet Vision or Star Tours. What? I know. It's shocking. <laughs> uh, let's do Animal Kingdom next. So I'm, I'm purposefully saying these in an order in which I would recommend them to people to buy. So Animal Kingdom would be next. Uh, we really didn't have much data on lightning lanes from animal kingdom because there just aren't that many real attractions that offer it uh and kilimanjaro or not cali river rapids sorry was uh down for most of the time we were collecting data it's back up now so we'll get there but navi river journey and kilimanjaro safaris have huge time savings often on high crowd level days you're only going to be able to book one or the other so pick what's important to you but after that, uh, use it on whatever. If you want to see if it's tough to be a bug, sure, go for it. Uh, <laughs> and then <laughs> at Epcot, again, Test Track's going to be your highest time savings, but even then, it's only 25 minutes compared to standby, typically. Yeah. Uh, Frozen Ever After, on the other hand, has huge time savings. So in the holiday period where it's eligible, it's the obvious winner. We didn't see that play out with how things booked out during the holiday period. Test Track's right. pulled out before Frozen Ever After after almost every day that's probably availability plays into that too but you're going to save so much more time with frozen ever after if it's an option so do test track then do soaring then do mission space or spaceship earth if those are important to you but overall just maybe don't do it (laughs) so frozen ever after um first if it's available as a genie plus over test track absolutely oh good advice okay cool because after right. you're saving over an hour compared to standby easily compared to 25 minutes for test track. So, and you mentioned that during the higher crowd levels, you tend to save less time because there's less yep. capacity. Yeah. Right. Which limits the number of Genie Plus reservations you can get. Right. So, 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 Jim, Disney's mm-hmm. got to know this, right? Disney's got to know that Genie Plus reservations for the very popular attractions sell out during periods of of relatively high crowds. And let's just let's just remind everyone we're not yet back at the crowd levels we saw in 2019. We're not even there yet. So if we get back there, Jim, won't, uh, won't capacity become more and more of an issue with Genie Plus? Oh, yes. You know, but on the other hand, you know, if you, if you talk with folks at the resort or that sort of thing and, and bring this issue up, it's like, yeah, but we'll have so much more experience and so much more data 
that we will make smart choices. And it's like, <laughs> really? Oh, great. <laughs> oh, that's good to hear. When? When will that start? That's <laughs> oh, yeah, no. exactly. So it's like, okay. So. I, you know, I, I, on the one hand, I think it's obvious they need to bump up capacity at some attractions, Genie Plus capacity at some attractions. The downside is, is you know, once you hit like 75, 80% capacity, you're back into a fast pass situation. Mm-hmm. Which I, I think Disney is actively trying to get away from. So they have they have constraints there. The other thing that they have seen, and in, in Becky, I, I know we've seen this in the data too, is is that Disney is favoring guests in the Genie Plus lines, yeah, so much more than guests in the standby line. Mm-hmm. That there's a limit to how much capacity they could allocate. Because I, 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 we've heard stories, you know, over the holiday period where we had um, you know, touring plans users in the standby line counting the number of people going by in the Genie Plus line before they move forward. And, you know, I've heard stories of, you know, literally 99 yep. guests at uh, get, getting pulled from the Genie Plus line before the first guest <laughs> got pulled from standby. Now, that's an extreme thing, right? Some, yeah. Something something was going wrong. But, you know, 99% allocation to Genie Plus uh, is not going to make for a lot of happy people in the standby line. Right. Uh, yeah. So just don't count the people. I'm a data person, but don't do that just to don't, yourself. Don't, like, don't do that. <laughs> just, just don't do it. Uh, but we've seen, and I think part of this is aggravated, at least anecdotally, by rides going down and Genie not handling yeah. that well. Uh, yeah. Very often we see Genie still giving out boarding passes or reservations, whatever you want to call them, while a ride is down. And so if the ride comes back up, there's a huge glut of people that can ride it. And then yeah. you have to, you have to be able to eat that line. So that's happening pretty regularly from what I've seen. And Becky, um, before we go, what individual lightning lane attractions are worth the money in your opinion? Worth the money. So again, that's going to depend on crowd levels, et cetera. Absolutely rise the resistance. Uh, I hope no one from Disney is listening, but they could crank the price up on that easily. Uh, our av- no, we, knew, we know who to thank when that happens now. <laughs> right. Yeah, sorry. Uh, the average time savings on Rise of the Resistance is over 90 minutes. Uh, so that's wow. just the very obvious winner. If you're going to buy individual Lightning Lane for anything, it's that. Remy is also a big one. And this might change when it goes to standby. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. But okay. the people that have been in the virtual queue and then get into that physical standby queue, it's not a standby line because it's not standby, it's virtual. But that line has been between an hour and two hours. And they've that ride, above all others, heavily favors the lightning lane. Uh, so time savings there has right. been up over 75 minutes. Um, after that, your next best options are Flight of Passage and Frozen Ever After. They both save you okay. over an hour just by themselves. Um, so wow. those would be my top four. Seven Dwarfs Mind Train sneaks in there with over 50 minutes of time saving. So it's pretty comparable to like Peter Pan and Jungle Cruise if you'd rather just pay the one time for that. Your other three, Runaway Railway, Space Mountain, Expedition Everest, typically, typically not worth it. Really? Space Mountain, Expedition Everest? Runaway. runaway so run, I, it depends on your definition of worth it, right? To me, I'd rather buy Genie Plus and stack some of those at Hollywood Studios than pay for Runaway oh, Railway, point. which has okay. a 34-minute time savings on average. That's still half an hour, but you're paying a lot for one ride. Try to stack some of the other Genie Pluses. Space Mountain's even less than that, and Expedition Everest is often a walk-on. <laughs> uh, but even right. in the highest crowd levels, you're saving half an hour. It averages out to like 15 or 18 minutes, something around that. So it's hard to justify yeah, that's not great. paying extra money. A dollar a minute. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. Wow, fabulous insights here. 
I appreciate that Becky's taking the time mm-hmm. to share. It's an evolving situation. Right. You know, sure. that, like, I love that you guys committed to gathering this de- all of this data during the holiday period when it, it was as crazy busy as it was. Mm-hmm. Just going to be interested to see going forward here how you guys can refine the stuff you're pulling in and, you know, further tweak the advice to folks. But, but you know, thank you so much. Yeah, when uh, when Guardians comes online and when Tron comes right. online, that's that's also going to change the dynamic here. So we'll Absolutely. have to have you back on, Becky. Yeah, yeah. always. Have great. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> Thanks again. Mm-hmm. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the Disney Dish show today. Please head on over to DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes, including live shows Jim and I have recorded in all four Walt Disney World theme parks. On next week's show... Disney's first attempt at a Marvel attraction, the Iron Man Experience at Hong Kong Disneyland. You can find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me, Len, at touringplans.com. Becky, where can people find you? I'm on Instagram at Raising Minimes. You can also email me, beckyg at touringplans.com. And we're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who's been named Grand Marshal of the 2022 Interstate Mullet Toss held at the Florabama Lounge Package and Oyster Bar on April 22nd, 23rd, and 24th, that's Earth Day, on Orange Beach in beautiful coastal Orange Beach, Alabama. While Aaron's doing that, please go onto iTunes and Radar Show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim and Becky, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.